What's impossible will they forget? This world keeps spinning, and with each new day, I can feel a change in everything. And as a surface, what's up, everybody? Trust you're having a great day. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. At Theology in the Dirt, we make it our aim to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city. And our world, and we trust you're having a good day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for interacting with us. Thanks for all the good stuff you do. Thanks for giving. Thanks for participating. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for rating the podcast. All those good things. We're grateful, and we're glad to come and uh, continue to talk about emotionally healthy discipleship. Good morning, Mr. Hayes. Good morning, sir. How are you? Uh, doing okay, man. Yeah. Doing okay. Yeah. It's been kind of a rough week, but hanging yeah. in there. Good way to finish it off. Yes, it is a good way to finish it off been therapeutic to uh talk about these things we've been talking about emotionally healthy discipleship yeah. and we're going to finish up today talking about emotionally healthy discipleship and, and next week we're going to move on i'm pretty fired up and and a little giddy about um next week we're going to do a couple top five lists kind of thing about christmas and thanksgiving and so um already i can see and feel the ire of people <laughs> it's halloween and you're talking christmas and thanksgiving that's right so it should be a lot of fun that will be fun. Yeah, I'm going to have a good time with that, man. And again, we trust you guys are doing well. Uh, trust you're getting ready for the holiday season because, um, well, it's here. And uh, it's my favorite time of the year. Uh, but it's also time for a little breaking news. Hey, check this out. Twitter is free. <laughs> Twitter has been freed. Elon has entered Twitter. Dude, last night we're at the game because we have uh, um, not enough refs uh, to call games, and sometimes games get flexed to Thursday night. So we got the privilege of, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, playing on Thursday. It's so anticlimactic. 56-14 wow. win. We got to buy next week and then playoff start for us. And so um, – Easy win, but so anticlimactic. So I'm sitting there in the stands, you know, the reserves are in, running clock, second half. I'm scrolling Twitter, and Elon has fired the CEO and the CFO, and uh, he's taken over. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, Trumpkins was reinstated, as well as the Babylon Bee is now back on Twitter. And so there's all kinds of stuff surrounding that. But big news in regard to um, whether or not you're going to censor people or allow there to be simply free speech i think musk made the statement he doesn't want twitter to become a hellscape which is good yeah that's very good i you know there's there um there are things i don't agree with but as a i'm an american citizen mm-hmm. and i do believe that freedom of the press and freedom of speech is very important ideas in the public square are important no matter how insane some ideas may be um and and there are ideas that like mm, uh maybe you should be arrested I don't know if you should say that. However, um, freedom means you can think for yourself and probably I'll be able to speak for yourself and do it in a public manner and and let um, culture or what power is in play correct. Or if you really believe it, stand your ground. But that's the essence of freedom. And so Babylon Bee is hilarious. I know certain people don't like the bee, think they're too sarcastic, but I would say go read Ezekiel. There's some places in Ezekiel that probably most Christians would read Ezekiel and be offended if they actually read their Bible. Um, so 
free, right? So that's a big deal. Twitter has gone back to not censoring people and letting people speak. Yeah, freedom does not mean freedom to have an opinion except for when it clashes with mine. <laughs> and and if it does, that means it's false and yeah. you are spreading you know, lies because <laughs> it doesn't fall in line with my opinion. Right. Uh, smells and tastes a little bit like the political season, right? Yeah, it does. Uh, I wish Facebook would do that too because so funny story on that topic. Um, so I run a, you know, the largest bobblehead group collector group on facebook right and we had a post that got flagged and removed by facebook not any of us admins did and because it was a bobblehead of osama bin laden seriously and the guy had, and i guess just because he had put the words osama bin laden that p- entire post got moved he was just trying to sell or trade his bobbleheads now i would never own an osama bin laden bobblehead you know i would never own a hillary clinton one and there's plenty of those dudes you know it's like yeah but but like dude's just trying to sell an item. It has yeah. like it's a bobblehead. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm just like, mm. yeah, come on, Zuckerberg, do better. Yeah, right, absolutely. There's and, and the uh, supply and demand will take care of that. If nobody wants it, nobody's gonna buy it. Let's ignore it. Right. There's, there's this ability to you know there are things that the former president uh, says that I'm like, oh, I shrug and go, Dad, come man, really? But doesn't mean he shouldn't have a right to say it in a public format such as Twitter. Right. And so I don't have to be offended by it. I can just choose to scroll on by because I follow people I don't agree with because every now and then there's something worth listening to. I follow Hillary Clinton and I would never, never have, never will cast a vote for (laughs) Hillary Rodham Clinton. Uh, Never did for Bill. And, but they have some things that are worth listening to. And every now and then there's a, there's a gem uh, that they come up with because they're smart people. And uh, we can learn from anybody, even fools. Um, and so there are people uh, in the world um, that I follow on Twitter because they're important people in the world. Don't agree with them. Right. They say nuts so things. But I want to know. That's a source of news. And so I'm glad that uh, that sale went through. And uh, the left is losing their minds this morning. People are like, Dan Rather. Oh my gosh, poor Dan Rather. Like, I don't know whether he really believed this stuff or, but Dan Rather's like contemplating getting off of Twitter. I'm going, you're a like world renowned supposed journalist. You're getting old, but dang, you're Dan stinking Rather. You don't need to get off Twitter. Pay attention. Be critical. If you see something you don't like, speak to it, Dan. Don't get off Twitter. Stay on Twitter. I mean, you might have a point that need to, I'm willing to listen to. Anyway, no. I'm glad that's a good, nice piece of news. That is, um, uh, shockingly, I'm standing my ground and not doing something political again today. Although I did vote yesterday, and for whatever reason, that doesn't opt you out of political commercials or signs. It doesn't, does it? Uh, yeah, and shockingly, none of those have swayed my opinion or anyone's. But. Herschel keeps texting me. I know we're buddies and everything, <laughs> but Herschel keeps texting yeah. me, man. You getting texts? I haven't gotten any texts. I've, I've okay. not. I've been careful not to. Sign up for anything or do anything. I got. I've gotten emails about things. And listen, man, if this the, wasn't the political season, I would have been giddy off my. Like, how did Herschel get my number? Yes. How was it showing up as Herschel Walker? Yeah, I'm free for dinner, Herschel. <laughs> Georgia, Florida week. Go dogs. That's right. Um, no, but so I read this week that the government has approved a five billion dollar plan to convert many of the U.S. school bus fleet to electric over the next several years by approving. The first $1 billion installment soon, and they'll do like a billion dollars once a year over the next five years. So this would allow for the purchase of 2,463 new buses 
95% of those which would be electric, and those will be spread out amongst the 50 states. Um, so, And then I read this transition to an electric bus fleet would cut greenhouse emissions by a projected 5.3 million tons per year, which is the equivalent of taking one and a half coal plants offline for a year. Interesting. So that's a lot of emissions. I, I go back and forth. I'm not by any means an electric car advocate or like want to own one, but then I thought, I mean, I guess there's worse things we could spend five billion on. I don't. I, I could see there being a benefit. Maybe it's you know. I, I don't. I don't hate clean air. So you know, I'm no, not. Right. I'm not going to go like right. Glue my face to a billion dollar painting about. Have you seen that? Anyway, yeah. that's that, we'll just save that for another day. But like, <laughs> right. People do the dumbest things. I'm like, that's not going to change the thing. But anyway, right. um, you just got arrested and ruined your life for no reason. But whatever. Yeah. I, I digress. But <laughs> yeah, you know, I was like, you know, electric school buses. Maybe that'll make them quieter. Sure. As well, and maybe that's safer in the long run. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work. It's kind of right. one of those things like it sounds good, but what happens if they start like breaking down and you can't just put yeah. gas in them? Right. So I'm interested to see what happens, but I thought it was interesting. It is interesting. I think it's a, there's a lot of assumption that, um, first of all, that uh, greenhouse gases are affecting climate change. That's actually debatable. Mm-hmm. But the cost effectiveness of uh, electric vehicles and their replacement repair seems to be pretty expensive. And I'm not for or against them. I actually would love to have a Tesla. I think they're stinking cool. They look neat. And I just like the fact that they're quiet. They're right. awesome. It's kind of neat. I would like to have one. But, man, they apparently repair is really expensive. The battery replacement, like if you have cells of batteries that go bad. And, like, right now, uh, Buford, my 2012 Dodge Ram 1500 V8, um, 4x4, is pretty easily repaired, fairly inexpensively repaired. Oh, yeah. You know, so I'm going to hang out with Buford for a while and, <laughs> and uh, before I get into the electric vehicle game. Yeah, somebody posted a picture of a receipt the other day for a replacement engine for a car. And I don't remember what kind of car it was, but it was like, it was over $30,000 just for a new engine for the electric car. Really? So the, the, Which the is part more than that I paid spins, for my car. Right. The part that <laughs> spins and creates torque and makes the wheels turn, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's a new car. Yeah. It's a new car. You can get a new, well, refurbished engine. Like I've actually looked at one from, I had to have my engine rebuilt um, right. back in, you remember that, because I was driving my son's little Nissan Sentra for, <laughs> I think it was a quarter of the year. It was like four months. My truck was, it was a while. Shop. It was a while. Uh, I could have gotten a new engine for about, Seven thousand dollars, brand new. Yeah, for a big old truck. For a big old truck, and so that that's not bad. Right, it's not bad. So, yeah, it's a it's it's a neat. It's gonna be interesting to see what happens with the school bus and the um, and the all electric fleet. So, good stuff, man. Yeah. Well, as we begin to move this morning, I believe it's time. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your Attention, please. It's time for the final countdown. The show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Thank you, Voice, for introducing our last 
in our series of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Today, Chris, we're going to talk about leading out of weakness and vulnerability. Leading out of weakness and vulnerability. Um, as I read through this book, everything Scazzaro, and yeah, we, we advocate, um, go get the book, um, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Read the book. I think it'd be worth your time, and we're not going to unpack Scazzaro's content because that's unfair to him. I want you to actually buy the book and read the book. But it's absolutely um, worth your time. As I read this book, one of the things I realized was, um, A, it's thoroughly Christian. Um, it's just thoroughly Christian, and it's not ripping off Bible verses and misusing Bible verses. It is um, a comprehensive um, Christian worldview of the human um, with correct application of the scriptures to the human. And and this last part, particularly the scriptures that kept coming to mind, not just because we're studying through the Sermon on the Mount, but um, because it really kept coming to mind was the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, um, Jesus highlighted weakness and vulnerability. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not those who hunger and thirst for power. Mm-hmm. Um Everything Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, the attitudes of the kingdom of God, are contrary to what a system that is bent on rebellion against God and his kingdom is built on. Power, fear, um, authority, um, all of those things. And not, power is not innately evil. Authority is not innately evil. They're perversions of good things God created. But Scazzaro talks about now, if we're going to lead we have to lead in truth, and that's leading out of vulnerability and weakness, not control and power. And everything I've ever read doesn't advocate for that. Right. It's opposite, right? It's very counterculture. It is very counterculture. And so I, I am. Um, I think. Uh, I think we're ingrained. I, know I have been. I'm, I don't speak for everybody, but um, the idea of being weak and vulnerable. Um, doesn't feel very self-protected. Now, I will say this. that This doesn't mean ignore Jesus' teaching to not cast your pearls before swine. There's a wise way to do that. There are people, and the truth of the matter is, there are always going to be people who are going to use what you say, no matter how good and right it is against you. Um, there are going to be people who mistreat you, even when you do right. Um, but that doesn't mean before God and before other man that we're accountable to obey Jesus. And Jesus led by this example. He led out of vulnerability. And weakness. Jesus always told the truth. Um, the most powerful event in human history looks like the most weak event in human history, where the eternal Son of God submitted himself to the Father's will to be crucified in the place of sinners and be buried in weakness and in shame and rise on the third day victorious. And so the pattern of that is that weakness and vulnerability leads to um, leads to good and right. And holy, and so that model is really what is presented for us here. Um, and so, for for me, there's a few things I, that Scazzaro mentions that I think are very important. Is one to develop a theology of weakness, um, and that means we have to look through the whole Bible and think through its whole content and develop a theological framework that allows for us to put on display. Um, Weakness, and it'd be okay. Um, the Bible says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Paul, the apostle, wrote that. There's something innately amazing and faithful 
about being weak, embracing the weakness in which God's strength comes out. Mm-hmm. Paul said, um, I will boast in my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because he said, when I am weak, that's when the power of God's put on display. So we start there. We embrace, we develop a theology of weakness. And in embracing and developing theology of weakness, we put ourselves in a position to receive the strength of God. Yeah, I kind of almost like equating the word weakness here with humility. I think that's a good comp for it because I think our culture defines weakness as passivity and this just lack of ability to do anything. But there's great strength in vulnerability. Um, There's great strength in humility. You mentioned, you know, Jesus um, as a perfect example. I mean, we see this. He never never drew huge attention to his miracles. Um, In fact, his own death and resurrection, as you mentioned, like those weren't showy. Like he didn't come out of the out of the grave to an audience of millions of people, you know. There was, in fact, none. <laughs> you know, right. And then you know later reveals himself, you know, to the ladies, and uh, he didn't come to earth that way either. He didn't come to earth in this big spectacle. He didn't sh- just show up like Mary didn't accidentally have birth in the palace, you know, in front of the king. Right. Um. This was in a stable in a barn, you know, in front of animals, and um. And so it's just it's quite the opposite of 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 our culture. And mm. uh, we see that it's countless times through scripture and we'll get to that a little bit later, but I think it, that's just really important to point out that it is countercultural. Um, our culture tends to put power and influence and wealth and celebrity celebrityism over everything else. Right. That's right. Uh, we see that all the time with celebrities, artists, athletes, famous CEOs, business leaders, and even pastors. Now yeah. the celebrityism of pastor, um, the pastoral role, um, has really become and and not all cases are, are bad or, or like this of the actual pastor doing it right that this kind of so I want to make sure I'm not saying just because you have a mega church or a famous pastor that they're right you know in sin or that they're you know doing something wrong that's right but there's great caution that needs to be applied to that absolutely it, absolutely I totally agree because there are unfortunately the longer we live in our worship of strength and our highlighting of various gifts as um, strengths or something we're attracted to, the more we see people we never thought would fall, fall. Um, and without naming names, probably all of us who dwell in Christian subculture think of one or two. They're like, I never thought that would happen, and it happened. Mm-hmm. But and, and even right here, we, we would not bring in front of the microphone someone who couldn't articulate. But what people will do is say, oh, you're a good talker, so you must be. And, and, and somehow that has a, an ability to transition to um, either the exaltation of or the worship of, in worst-case scenario, a certain gift. And it's seen and exercised as powerful. But what I want to make sure people understand is that person who's not a good talker, but their character and their morality and their, and their worldview rooted in the, in the truth of God who quietly just exercises the faith, and leads their family well and does their job well is powerful. They're exercising the utmost in power, not through talking, because talk is cheap. Mm-hmm. Really what happens outside of this room today and our actions is much more important than really what we're going to say here. Hopefully to some degree our words will be beneficial. It's a gift that God can use to help strengthen people, lift people up, to help them go and exercise uh, their faith today. But just because you're a good talker, because I'm a good talker, or other people are good talkers, doesn't make us powerful. It's just a it, it's something God has given us to exercise. But but the strength comes in the weaknesses, and 
in those weaknesses, God's strength being put on display. Because I can promise you the things I do poorly are a lot greater than the things I do well. And and in those places, I need the Lord to show his strength mm-hmm. and show his power. And so I will gladly put those things on display so that people see you're nothing. And because you're nothing, I see the power of God at work. And if God can work in you, God can work in me. And so developing a theology of weakness is huge, and which leads to the embrace the gift of your limp. He talks about embracing the gift of your limp. Those are things we want to hide, but, yeah. but I, I, think, I think it's vital that they be put on display. Being honest about who we are, um, what we don't do well. Um, and so embrace the gift of your limp. I, here, here's the byproduct of that. I think if we can embrace, and what he means by that is embrace our weaknesses, the things we don't do or the things that we have been hurt by. Um, because when we can do that, we're first admitting that we need God's help. But secondly, we're willing to put on display as uh, a testimony to God's grace and an example to other people that it's okay to be hurt, it's okay to be weak. And the fact that we're limping is evidence that God can take us and lift us up in our weakness and in our hurt and move us forward. So it's embracing the gift of your limp, and that is, what are the things I don't do well? What are the things that have hurt me that have limited my ability? We embrace them. And then the last part of that is embracing the gift of your limp also creates a place of Sabbath. Mm. If the limp wasn't there, we might be tempted to run harder than we should run or do more than we should do and violate Sabbath rest. But when we embrace the gift of our limp, it slows us down. Yeah, uh, you know, perfect example of that we see often in um, in athletes, right? Because the whole, you know, this whole entourage. We'll just take football for example. Like for years, it was always like, well, I don't care if you're hurt, you get out there and play, tough it out. You need to be out there. But if you've got a lingering injury, you know, if you've got a stress fracture, for example, and you're out there just trying to play on it, you might be successful for a while, but eventually that's going to catch up to you and it's going to sideline you for much longer than it would have if you had just rested it. Yep. And I think in, in a similar way, you know embracing our limp and realizing that we are failed creatures we are with you know we have needs and we we have this reliance that we have to have on the lord we have to have this dependability and when we lack dependability on him eventually he's going to humble us and remind us of our dependability on him and it's not always going to be a pleasant experience right you have examples of that in the bible right where where Saul was a head taller than everyone and somewhere along the way um, Saul became dependent on himself, and and God brought him to a place of abject humility where he and his sons die on a hill in battle and are completely dishonored. David thinks more of himself than he ought to think and, and, and commits adultery with uh, another woman and has her husband murdered, and God humbles him. Yeah. Right. And so the truth of the matter is we either embrace those limps or God will bring them to because here's the deal. God says it over and over again. I will not give my glory to another. Mm-hmm. And humans, our innate fallen genetic flaw from the curse of sin is that we want to rebel against God. We want to set ourselves up above God. We want to believe he's holding out on us and so we have to go get what we think he's holding out on us with and so as a result of that we begin to exalt ourselves and God says I will not give my glory to you and here's here's the here's the crazy 
thing about that is when what we find is when we humble ourselves before God, all the things that we need, He supplies. If we exalt ourselves, He will withhold and He will humble us. So we ultimately get what we need and what we want in a better way if we just embrace the gift of our weakness and our limps and we trust God and we put him on display, set ourselves down. And I, and I, I want to make this clear because it's coming to my mind right now. This does not mean um, self-flagellation, beating yourself up, speaking of humanity in ways that are inappropriate. Um, I absolutely don't hear and don't walk away from this podcast going, humans are just wretches. We're just horrible, horrible creatures. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. That is an absolute lie. That word... Uh, is not in the Bible applied to humans anywhere, and it's in some of our more Reformed culture in regard to human beings. We're fallen. Sin has infected our being. Um, But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We are not unloved. We may stay in sin and rebellion and go to hell, but that doesn't mean God still doesn't love us loved us, and provided a way of escape. That's not wretched, that's beloved. And my rejection of that message does not speak to my being as an image bearer of God. So I don't want anybody to hear in here when we talk about embrace limp, humble ourselves. We're not talking about beating humanity up as unworthy. That's not what we're talking about. We're precious image bearers of God, all humans, worthy of being protected and guarded and nourished and cherished and for flourishing good things. We're talking about being in the proper place in divine order. God, God, us as his creatures, beloved by God, provided a way of escape if we trust in him. If we trust in him, we get only, only good, right? Right. Um, and, and so we're not talking about beating ourselves up as wretches. We're talking about placing ourselves in divine order and creation in the right place, and that is under the authority of God as a good father, not exalting ourselves above him and embracing what he gives us for his glory and our good and our joy. Yeah, I, I love the words of Paul in Second uh, Corinthians 12. Um, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And you kind of you hit on that earlier. And I love that um, that His power is made perfect in weakness. When we when we embrace that, you're right. It's not a it's not a woe is me. I'm terrible. I have no hope kind of situation. It's a Lord, I need you. And I think we've got to see that lens shift in us. It's not a this isn't a um, you know let's embrace depravity and just deal with it because we have no hope. Mm-hmm. No, this is. I am set apart from him, but he is making us perfect in that, yeah. um, in, in that valley and in that depth of, I just can't get there, is a, a gracious heavenly father who's saying, I will help you get there. Mm. And then in that, I will be glorified and you will be made perfect. You know, he's mm. making us complete in him. We can't do that in ourselves. That's the lesson to be learned is you can't get there by yourself. That's why he sent a sacrifice, an atoning representation to bear that guilt so we don't have to be guilty. Mm, That's good, man. Third piece of this is become a church, become an organization. Uh, 
that's based on weakness. And what does what in the world does that mean? Here's here's what I, I I think that means. I think what that means is we don't simply elevate or hire um, strength. We hire humility because I think it, it, in a um, supply and demand. Uh, success is on the line based on how you determine success. We're going to look out of out of a scale of one to ten. We want to hire the tens, man. Right? All right. So, and it's hard to argue with that logic. Why hire a six when you can hire a ten? Well, yeah. what about this? What if that ten comes with um, toxicity, but the six comes with humility and hard work? Maybe they work more hours to make up for what they lack because they recognize they lack. Or maybe they work less hours because they're super productive in some areas and are healthy and love people well and people like being around them. But your 10, man, your 10 is going to knock it out of the park, but everybody hates them because they're jack legs, right? I worked with one of those recently. <laughs> not, not currently, but I won't say. You, there you go, right? Name. Yeah, it's yeah high-performing, but... Toxic leader yeah. who, yeah. We have names for them that we probably shouldn't say into microphones, <laughs> right? Because it would not be nice. And so and so, we want to be a place that doesn't hire or elevate the best, but we want to hire and elevate those who are humble before God, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first, whether their skill set is a 10 or a 6. Because, listen, we've been around the block enough to know I would rather work with a six or a seven who's fun to be around and easy to get along with that we have to train a little more and be a little more patient with than a person who just does excellent, but I can't stand the sight of them. Yeah, I'll take a teachable six or seven over an unteachable nine or ten. All day. All day, every day. That's right. Someone who is humble, someone who knows how. Listen, man, there is nothing better than a person who can humbly ask questions, not assume anything, seek to fill their role, um, ask good questions, ask gentle questions, can be gentle and kind, respectful to other people, not assuming anything, not presumptuous. Listen, man, you can get a, that's the kind of person you can do a 50 year stint with long-term work together. Um, But man, I, I would rather have that and be slow at achieving anything then I would got it done in six weeks, but everybody's miserable. Right. So we want to embrace and become a place that embraces weakness because I would rather have holy and vulnerable than power and oh my God. Yeah, I just I don't want to break down the book too much, but I thought this there's a chart here that Scazera pulls out uh, in this chapter where he contrasts uh, the weak and vulnerable leader based off of Jesus' leadership, with a proud and defensive leader. And I think it's some good stuff here. So the weak and the vulnerable leader says, I allow myself to be sorrowful and troubled in front of others. The proud and defensive leader, I cover my, I cover over my feelings of sorrow and confusion in front of my team. Mm-hmm. Weak and vulnerable leader, I admit to my team when I am feeling overwhelmed. Proud and defensive, I refuse to fall apart, always modeling strong faith and vision, especially in front of my team. Weak and vulnerable leader, I easily ask for the help of help and prayer of others. Proud and defensive leader, I rarely appear needy in front of others. While I will be there for others, I don't look for others to be there for me. Weak and vulnerable leader, I pray in utter dependence to surrender my will to God's will. 
proud and defensive. I pray how to strategically turn a bad situation around and expand the ministry. And weak and vulnerable, I have no problem falling face down on the ground in front of others when I struggle to submit myself to the unfathomable will of the Father. And the proud and defensive leader, I try to stand tall, being decisive and unwavering in crisis so others can lean on me for faith and strength. And I want to point out, there's some, like, good characteristics in that proud and defensive list, like the things that necessarily aren't bad in of themselves, but when they are separated from the ability to be vulnerable, you know, I think back through COVID and I think how many leaders were unwilling to show any wavering because they felt like they, and, and their their heart may have been in the right place. It may have been, I, I need to be strong for my team who's struggling. But I think as a, that team would rather have a leader that says, you know what, man, this is hurting me too. I am really struggling Let's let's we're going to get through this together, yeah. And and we're gonna we're gonna call on the Father to help us through it, as opposed to, no, nah, we just let's fight through it. You're going to be fine, you know. Let's get, like that's just not how no. people operate. Yeah, the, you read through that list, and and I can there are books that come to mind in the Christian world on that highlight proud and defensive, a proud and defensive stance, as opposed to going. I actually don't know what to do. This is so confusing that I'm confused and I absolutely do not know what to do and which direction to go in. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pretend like I do. I think we're talking about being in a place where we can acknowledge that this is, this is nuts. Right. And, 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 and I think, I think until we can get to that place, because if we don't, what we end up having to do at some points is backtrack on being wrong. I would rather just say, I don't know. Let's kind of move in this general direction. Cause I'm, don't know, but we got to move. So let's maybe go here. And it'd be so much easier to backtrack in humility because we didn't know as opposed to this is right. We're going to go this way. And they're like, oh my gosh, that was wrong. Right. Yeah. Just be honest. We live in a time and space right now in which if anybody tells you um, this information is 100% correct on a lot of things, they're, they're full of it. Like right now, Information is coming at us so quickly and from so many directions, from so so many fake sources that um, politically, sociologically, medically, Mm. you can't stand in a position of authority and declare 100% thus says the Lord because that may be a load of bunk. And and so we have to be careful and be vulnerable and go, I don't know what to believe. I don't want to believe about COVID. I don't want to believe. I don't know what to believe. Uh, about the World Economic Forum. I don't know what to believe most of the days. I, I don't want to believe certain things, but certain things seem to be going this way. And just be honest that we don't know. Yeah. Um, and that that is weak, but at the same time, it is a powerful strength to be able to admit, I just don't know. Right. So, yeah, that's good, man. That's good stuff. Um, well, I got... If you're ready for it, kind of the application Bring setting. It. Got four C's. Right? I love your alliteration. <laughs> I love that you like this is you are such a good Southern Baptist preacher. That's right. It is awesome. And by the way, I'm not saying that derogatory. I'm a proud uh-huh. Southern Baptist and I love the Southern Baptist Convention. So if you want to beat up on Baptists, don't beat don't do it in my presence. I'm proud to be a Southern Baptist, but we alliterate really well. A we lot do. of preachers. You're good. I think like it good helps us remember things better. I think like, so. What were too. those four C's as opposed to like what were those four things he said? I don't know. So hopefully it helps you remember. <laughs> and, and I'm I'm on that like what did he say? Because none of it none of it <laughs> that's why I have to write it down and put it on a blog. It's like I no it was like a paragraph point. 
So no, no. <laughs> you're really good at stating things clearly. So you got four C's. I got four C's. So when we're unable to accept our own vulnerabilities, we create a culture where others do not feel safe to be vulnerable. And over time, our churches become filled with people who are encouraged to pretend to be something they're not. So getting into my four C's here, the first C is create a culture of safety and weakness and vulnerability. And you kind of hit on this earlier, kind of being a church of this. Uh, to do this, uh, lead by example. Leaders need to be able to be vulnerable and humble and show that it's okay to hurt, it's okay to feel, it's okay to be vulnerable here because uh, we're all here for you and we'll walk through this with you in that vulnerability and weakness and that pain. And we've mm-hmm. talked about this significantly throughout this series on emotional healthy discipleship of you can't walk through people's hurt and pain if you're not willing to go through it yourself and, and yeah. be vulnerable in your own moments yeah. uh, to do that. And that's an imperative aspect for leadership. Yeah. You guys provided a safe place for me. I think you saw me uh, at maybe the lowest I've ever been. Uh, and it wasn't an issue. I felt safe around you to be that way, but I couldn't help it. Like I, there's no no more put on. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so... I'm, I believe that God used that in, in, in me to make me a safe person for other people who are wrestling in places I didn't understand they were wrestling in until I was in them, for them to be able to come and say, I'm hurting, and I could get it. I could understand and empathize. Yeah. Um, and so being a place where it's okay to be there, I'm telling you, it made a difference in my life um, and set me on a road to healing that I'm still on, but... But I, my hunch is that more of us need that than we let on. And I think the flip side of that's true. If people in our church know that you're willing to be that, they're much more likely to come to you with things yep. than if they never see that in you. Yep. And I think that's just really important. And I think now more than ever, and probably more so with men, because we tend to struggle more with sharing our emotions and our feelings with people. We don't want to let people, we don't want to let that wall down that makes us look anything but strong and brave and yeah. you know everything's going right yep. and like i said sometimes there's some goodness in that we want to be strong for our families mm-hmm. but we have to be willing to go to that place when it's needed yeah that's right um, the second c is courage over cockiness uh, we want people to be able to have the courage to admit when they're hurting allow space for them to be courageous enough to admit they don't have it all figured out uh, we don't want cocky leaders and cocky churches who portray a false sense of confidence as if no one's ever hurting or dealing with real stuff. Um, and the truth is we've been, so we've been equipped with what we need to buy a loving father to overcome a lot, but usually that's not in a, not by ourselves, but with him and with his people. And I saw this quote from C.S. Lewis, who I know is one of your favorites, mm-hmm. uh, the other day that was super encouraging. He says, God who foresaw your tribulation has, spe- has specially armed you to go through it, not without pain, but without stain. And man, that just wrecked me that was like you know what he doesn't nowhere does he promise we're not going to hurt and deal with stuff but when we do we're not going to be left with that stain anymore because he has made us righteous in him Mm. and um yeah that quote just really hit me i was like man thank you lord yeah that's gold that's all (laughs) that's so good um number three my third seat compassion is the path to healing Uh, we have to show compassion but we can't do that amidst pride. Uh, the only way to truly show compassion is through vulnerability and empathy and just being there. Um, again, we've laid out several ways in the past episodes. Um, just real quick, I'm going to highlight some of these scriptures because the Bible's littered with scripture on 
uh, on humility and opposing pride. And, you know, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. As countercultural a verse as you can get. Yeah. Uh, Rome, or Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Romans 12, 14 to 16, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who do not. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And then one we know the most, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mm. And um, again, that's just mm. countercultural. We're, we're in this world that says you can do it yourself. You don't need anybody. Be strong. Overcome. You know, Be a shark, not a minnow. Be a lion, not a sheep. Man, there are times that you need to recognize right now I need to be a sheep. Yeah, that's huge. And and the example, uh, the scriptures there, the Philippians passage, just taken out of inner Trinitarian reality. Yeah. Jesus was in no way inferior to the Father, and the Spirit is no way inferior to the Son, but the Son willingly submits himself to the Father, and the Spirit submits himself to the glory of the Son. And so that humility is finding our place and being okay with it mm-hmm. and being okay with who we are. I mean, there's a component of, of embracing weakness and vulnerability is embracing who God made us to be. And the truth of the matter is, um, I, <laughs> um, I personally do not ever want to be any, the man. Don't put the definite article in front of my name. I'm not the anything. I'm not wired to be the anything. I'm wired to be a, a part of a team. All I want to be is just a part of a world-class team. I want to do the thing that God's given me to do and do it well. Never mm-hmm. call me the, the, anything. I'm not the nothing. I'm not a the. I'm yeah. never going to be a the. And I'm not wired to be a the. I'm, I'm wired and made to be an a, a thing, a part of something. And so, man, and, and that's being like Jesus, that's not being less than. That's not failing to lead. It's being who God made you to be. And it's okay for all of us to be what we are. And that is, to me, I think I mean, I'm not calling myself, hey, I'm humble, look at me. <laughs> I'm just admitting that I'm not. I'm not a the. Yeah. And that's not weakness, like in the sense of poor. That is humility, and it's embracing who we are. And that's exactly what happens in an inter-Trinitarian relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. And that is completely okay. I, I would argue there's liberation there. And in that liberation, you find strength. Mm-hmm. Jesus was constantly pointing the attention to the Father, yep. not looking to draw attention to himself, even though he was God also. Right. And, and, and so the best leaders tend to do that. They want to be about the team. They yep. want to be about lifting up others more than themselves. Because when the team's successful, they're successful. That's right. But if they're successful without the team being successful, that's useless. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, the final C here is come to the altar. Jesus is waiting. Stop trying to force feed yourself through life without dealing with your hurt and fears and anxieties. We can't do it alone. You know, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, it's in his arms is where we find our joy and our peace and our healing. Western culture says, you got this, get over it, push through. Jesus says, lay it at my feet. 
my grace is sufficient for you. Mm. And uh, this just brought me to I lo- one of my favorite hymns, uh, I Surrender All. It says, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And in that surrendering is where we meet that weakness and vulnerability, which is what leads us to humility, which then in turn allows us to not only be emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy, but leads us to a life dependent on Christ and a life that turns others to him. Mm. Man, that's rich. That's good, man. There's no improvement. <laughs> Nothing to add. That's gold. Um, guys, I, I hope um, I hope this has been as enriching for you as it has been for me. Uh, Chris and I have said uh, multiple times as we kind of walk out of our little studio how personally therapeutic it's been to talk through these things and we trust it's been that way for for you too Uh, we would love to get from you uh, any kind of feedback um, for future topics things you'd like us to talk about uh, and things you'd like for us to discuss and uh, if any of you uh, are in the area and are an expert in an area that you want to talk about in your domain, engaging the world, putting your theology to practice, hit us up and we might just have you in the studio to talk. And we know there are several people we want to have in to interview and, and tell about what they are doing. Chris, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Bonus C for you, community. Don't try to do these things without your village, without your people around you. Rely on your community in that community within the church, another C. Mm, love it. <laughs> Don't do it alone. You're loaded with C's. Hey, Chris, starts with C. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Guys, we do appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Hit us up on uh, the email, theologyinthedirt at gmail.com, with any of those suggested topics, anything you want to talk about, uh, anything you want to make us aware of. And uh, we love if you share the podcast and rate it. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time as we enter the holiday season. Have a great day. Out. This world keeps spinning with each new day. I can feel a change in everything. And as the surface breaks, reflections fade. But in some ways they remain the same. And as my mind begins to spread its wings There's no stopping curiosity I wanna turn